Well, good morning and happy new year. It is good to see you guys. Are you awake? All right, awesome, good. If you got a Bible, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 29. Friends at home, we're glad you're worshiping with us. Let me remind you, <coughs> excuse me, we are gonna take communion as part of our worship today, so keep listening, but you may wanna scurry to the kitchen and grab a few uh, items that you can use as elements as we take communion at the end of our time uh, in God's word together today. So I think I said, did I say Jeremiah chapter 29? All right, if you got a Bible, awesome, fantastic. All right, good. So I can't remember if I told you this story, but when I was five, I had soccer practice at the elementary school where I went to school, and it was maybe half a mile from my house, so not far. I mean, it's like down one street, and then you turn on my street, and that's kind of it. Later on, when I was a little bit older, I obviously I knew kind of how to get back and forth, ride my, back, ride my bike to school, that sort of a thing. But when I was five, I had soccer practice, and this was an unusual day for soccer practice. My mom brought me, normally my dad would bring me, but my dad had to stay late at work, and so he, I think, came straight from work. So then both of them are there, they got their two cars, and after practice, they're talking with some friends, that's pretty normal, right? Other parents of other kids on the team. And I am swinging on the swing set. Now, I don't know where my attention went or what was going on with me, but I didn't notice that one by one, everybody's leaving. And so it's you know starting to get dark, the sun's going down, and I'm at the playground. I'm just I'm, I think I'm probably trying to break my record for jumping off the swing as far as I can get. And when you get, when you're doing that, you have to be completely focused. Okay, there's no room for paying attention to anything else. You're singularly focused on the task at hand. And so I'm jumping off the swing and getting back on, and jumping off the swing and getting back on. And all of a sudden I look up, and there's no one there, including my parents. No one, empty parking lot, empty field, me and nobody else. And I got real scared. I remember thinking, all right, I'm five. This is how it ends. It's been a good run. It's been a good run. I did well. What had happened was my parents had both thought the other one had me. And they got in their cars and they drove home. And again, it's like a 30-second drive home. They drove home. They got there. And I didn't know this part of the story until later. My dad looks at my mom, my mom looks at my dad. She says, don't you have Trent? I thought you had Trent. And my dad jumps back in his car and like peels out of the driveway, back up to the, to the elementary school, finds me just standing, I don't know why, standing in the, in the exact middle of the playground parking lot, just bawling, just standing there, head down, crying, scared, thinking I'm, I'm never going home again, you know? Now again, I'm not that far from home. I just didn't know how to get there. Now, whenever I think about how scary it is to be lost, I think about that story. Have you been lost before? It's scary, right? I mean, some of you have been lost as an adult, like in the woods, right, on a hike or something. You're like, it's, it's pretty frightening, right? Or maybe when you were a kid, you got lost in a store somewhere or whatever. I always think about that story when I think about, when it's scary when you don't know, you know where you need to go, but you don't know how to get there. And that's a, that's a frightening thing, right? When you think, I'm all alone, I'm all by myself, and I kind of don't know where I'm going. So I was thinking about that story uh, this week because in the weeks ahead, I want to take you on a journey through the book of Lamentations. And now that may seem like an odd series to do at a time where we've, we've had a pretty rough go of it in 2020. But the reason I want to do this is because the scriptures give us a picture of what it looks like to have hope and they tell us that you can't have the fullest version of hope until you learn how to lament, until you learn how to grieve. And when you do, when you learn how to lament, when you learn how to grieve, you get full of hope. But that's not what we're gonna do this week. 
Today, what I wanted to do right here at the start of 2021, and I'm excited to be with you, by the way, because normally I'm in Texas. We didn't do that trip this year because of COVID and everything. So normally I'm gone this week, but I'm excited to be here this morning with you at a, on a week normally, year by year, I'm not normally here, because I just want to spend some time with you reflecting on our mission as a church and specifically aspects of that mission that I think we are going to be really timely for us in 2021. So we spent last week, if you were with us, how many were here last week or saw online last week? And Ryan did such a great job. Weren't you so encouraged by those testimonies of God's faithfulness throughout 2020? It's been a year maybe where it's a little easy to forget or to not count or to not see all the ways that God has been faithful. So it was really good for me last week to tune in and hear, man, oh man God has been so faithful in the midst of a really tough year. But what I'd like to do this year is perhaps it's good for us to return uh, from time to time to our mission as a church and remind ourselves, maybe you're new and you never heard what our mission is. Maybe you've been here for a while and you just, you need to be reminded again so that we don't get lost, so we don't find ourselves like five-year-old Trent in a parking lot, not sure where we're going and not sure how to get there. So I just want to talk a little bit about that with you today and then make some reflections upon uh, what that looks like for us in 2021, I think. All right, fair enough? Cool, all right. So let me remind you of what our mission is or perhaps share it with you for the first time. We state our mission this way. Our mission as a church is to seek the good of the West Shore and beyond through deep truth, deep lives, and deep love for the glory of Christ. Now I wanna take that bit by bit for you. There's two texts that we root our mission in. Those two texts are Jeremiah chapter 29, verse seven, and Colossians chapter one, verse 28. And so I'm gonna unpack those for you a little bit today. But let's not bury the lead here. The lead on that mission statement is the last phrase, which is what? For the glory of Christ. Everything we do, everything we are, everything we want you to be, and everything we want you to be about is for his glory, that he would get honor and recognition and supremacy in the lives of others, that he would have supreme place in our lives and our hearts, that we would be a people who are passionately anchored to getting Christ's glory, that we would actually understand that that's the, the chief ambition of our lives, right? Like the, the good old Westminster Shorter Catechism says, if you're familiar with some of your church history, right? Which says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, that's what we exist for. That's what every human being exists for, to get God glory through Christ. And that's, so we don't want to bury the lead, yes? As a church, that's what we exist for, just like you exist for that. And we want to always remember that. Now, that, it gets expressed in a couple different ways. Now, one of the things we understand is that every church, not just our church, every church's mission is to make disciples because that's what glorifies Christ. That's what he told us to do. He said, go and make disciples. And so that's every church's mission. So when we say our mission is to seek the good of the West Shore and beyond through deep truth, deep lives, and deep love for the glory of Christ, we are just expressing a specific way or specific, uh, a specific way in which we want to go about making disciples. We understand that every church's mission is to make disciples, ours included, and we talk about that in this way. So let me take you to Jeremiah chapter 29 now. Let's go to the beginning of that mission statement where we say, to seek the good of the West Shore and beyond. Now let me just let you in on a little secret here. When we express it this way, we're expressing it because that it's rooted in Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 7, and there's a specific reason we like to root our mission in that text where we could root it in Matthew chapter 22, where Jesus taught us that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's, that's akin to glorifying God, right? Enjoying him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the second greatest commandment is like it. It's what? 
love your neighbor as yourself. Really, when we say in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, we are to seek the good of the place where God has put us, we are really saying we are to obey that Matthew chapter 22 command. Love your neighbor. Love your, and lots of churches say it that way. I'll tell you, we say it this way for a specific reason. The specific reason we root our mission in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, is because Jeremiah 29 is written to a group of people who are exiles. And they know they're exiles living far from home. And we love the idea that we would understand that we are exiles and all that comes with that. We are not home. We are not home. We will be one day. And yet we have a job to do as exiles. And that's why I think Jeremiah 29, the principle is carried forward into the New Testament under the new covenant in Matthew chapter 22 of loving our neighbor. But we state it as seeking the good of the West Shore and beyond because of that understanding of living in exile. Now let me, let me show you what I mean when we look at Jeremiah chapter 29. And again, we're gonna do uh, a kind of a quick hit on this text, okay? So look with me, Jeremiah chapter 29. Verse seven is where we, we take our mission statement from. Look at what it says. It says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now, here's what we understand. Jeremiah is writing to elders in, uh, the elders of Judah who are in exile. Just to give you a little bit of history here. The nation of Israel had been divided into two nations, Judah and Israel, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Israel had gone into exile hundreds of years before Judah had. Judah had maintained itself, but eventually they came under judgment for sinning against God and for rejecting God. And that, that uh, punishment, that disciplinary measure was that they were taken into exile by the nation of Babylon. And all the best and brightest and many of the nation were living in exile in Babylon. Jeremiah is one of the few still remaining in Jerusalem, back in Judah. And he is writing to these exiles and he's telling them what to do. And he's saying, here's how you live as an exile. Right? And a lot of us may know, may be familiar with a couple of verses later in Jeremiah chapter 29. Or like Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. That's a pretty popular one, right? Well, before that word is spoken to the nation of Israel, what is spoken to them is, here's how you live as exiles. Now, let me take you back to verses 4 through 6 to kind of show you how he builds his argument up to verse seven, where he says, what I want you to do is seek the good of the city where I've sent you into exile. In verse four, it says this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. And then he says, but seek the welfare of the city. Now, here's the point. In verses four through six, what Jeremiah is saying to the people is, it's gonna be really tempting when you're living as an exile, when you're going through a really hard season, to just say, I'm just gonna hunker down and get through it. I'm just going to sit on my hands and just wait for God to show up and deliver me. We're just gonna, we're just gonna have to do that. And God is saying, I don't want you to do that. In fact, he's alluding back to something from Genesis chapter one, all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, when he says, give your sons, have sons and daughters, have them get married and have them have sons and daughters and build houses and plant gardens. In other words, he's saying, I want you to keep fulfilling the mandate I gave to you all the way back in Genesis one, to be fruitful and multiply and to subdue the earth and to cultivate. It's what we call the creation mandate. 
right? So what God has said to Adam and Eve and to all human beings is, I've made you in my image, and as my image bears, what I want you to do is I want you to be creators. I want you to be cultivators. I want you to be producers, people who don't just consume, but produce good, who bring justice and righteousness about in the world. I'm gonna rule all my creation, and often I'm gonna do it through you, the pinnacle of that creation, human beings. And so he's alluding back to that, Jeremiah is, and he's saying, hey, lest you think that now is just a time to kind of go, okay, we're just gonna, have to, just gonna have to sit here and wait. Can't really do much good now because we're exiles. We don't have any authority. We don't have any power. In fact, we're, we're subject to a group of people who are wicked and they have all the authority and they have all the power. We're just gonna have to sit back and wait and surely God will show up at some point. And he's saying, don't do that. Jeremiah is telling them, I want you to keep, well, God through Jeremiah is saying, keep producing uh, what God has made you to produce. Keep going forward. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. He says in, in verse seven, if you seek the good of the place where I've sent you, it will produce your own welfare. So we learn from that that God wants his people to thrive even while they're in exile. So they're under his discipline. They're under his judgment for their sin. And yet he's saying, I want you to continue to thrive. I want you to flourish even while you're in exile. That's one thing we learn from this. But God could cause them to thrive and flourish without telling them to try and bless the people whom they're subject to. He could tell them to do that without telling them to seek the good of Babylon. That would be possible, right? In fact, we might even think it would be preferable because he might, we might say, well, look, if you've got this group of people who are in exile and who are in servitude and slavery and they seem to be blessed and fruitful and multiplying and then this other group over here, which is holding them subject, that, who are bringing about bad things into their life, if they don't get anything good, maybe they'd recognize, oh, God, is, they know God. And then we should too. You, know, you might argue that would be the better way. That's not what God says. He says, look, I know, and by the way, later, God is going to say to the people of Babylon, you're going to endure my judgment now. You're gonna enjoy my discipline for the wickedness that you have committed. But right now, I'm using you, Babylon, to exercise discipline upon my people so that they would return to me and be restored in me. And while they're under that disciplinary hand, God says to them, be fruitful and multiply. Keep living forward in my purposes for you. Don't stop doing that. And he also says, seek the good of the place where I have sent you into exile. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So not only does he want his people to thrive, he also wants them to produce thriving and flourishing for all those around them. That's an important thing for us to understand as people living in exile. When you understand that you are not in your true home, that there's no such thing as true justice and true righteousness, all we'll ever experience in this world is approximate justice and righteousness. And we are to pursue that approximate justice and righteousness. But until Jesus comes, we'll never get the full version, yes? We'll never have it, but we're to pursue as much of it as we can experience and bring about into the world, right? In the time that we have. And so he says, Understand that you're exiles. Understand that you only ever get approximate justice and approximate righteousness and yet pursue it with everything you have and do it in such a way that you seek the good of those who don't yet know me because God is a redeeming God who desires to redeem people from every nation, from every people group. And so in his mercy, he plants his people in exile and disciplines them there. And even while doing it, is still reaching to the hearts and lives of those who are not yet his people through them. While he does it, if you're not blown away by that, 
you're not understanding the story. It's unbelievable that God does that. It's unbelievable how committed he is to reaching people with the message of his love and mercy and goodness and justice and power and supremacy, how committed he is to bringing that about. And he's committed to bringing it about through you and through me. And so, he, so we draw from that, that our job as those living in exile, not those with power and authority, it's, look, friends, it's easy to say, I'm going to love my neighbor. I'm gonna seek the good of the place where I've been sent. When you have authority and when you have power and when you have sort of position, it's a lot harder to do it when you don't have any of those things. And that's why I love that we frame our mission in this, in this realm of underst understanding ourselves as exiles who are not yet home. Whether we, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, we are able to seek the good of the place where God has put us for the time being. Now, the second part of that mission statement, through deep truth, deep lives, and deep love. So seek the good of the West Shore and beyond, where we live and to the ends of the earth. Through deep truth, deep life, and deep love. That's rooted in Colossians 1.28, which says this. Him we proclaim, talking about Jesus. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom in order that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, the, the point is this. Our mission as a church is that we believe that we will seek the good of the West Shore and beyond most effectively when you are growing in maturity in Christ, you and I. When there's a depth of understanding of the truth, a depth of life in terms of character, and a depth of love expressed in our actions towards people. So we always think belief, character, and actions. We wanna be forming our belief and character and actions together, deep truth, deep lives, and deep love, so that we can seek the good of the West Shore. Maybe to put it this way, we don't just wanna be a church that fills the seats and gives you a shallow relationship with Jesus. We have no interest in that. You know what we're interested in? We're interested in people who are daily changing. Daily changing. Because Jesus has taken hold of your heart. He's taken hold of your mind. And you're going, my actions have to change. Now listen, most people, study show, do not like change, right? That's a really ironic idea for a believer when you understand that every day we are to become more like Jesus, this process we call sanctification. And if that's true, that means I'm supposed to change every day. And if I don't like change, that's gonna be a problem. So embrace that we are constantly changing all the time. That is our call to move forward towards Christ's likeness. Our desire as a church is to shape your hearts and to shape your minds for us to do that together as we walk together and journey together so that Christ is glorified and we are able then through that becoming this kind of people to seek the good of the place where God has put us in exile. So that's how we state our mission. That's how we think about our mission. Now, those phrases are fine. Uh, I like those phrases. They motivate me. I hope you find them catalytic as well. But there's a picture that I always have in mind. And you've heard me talk about this before. When I think about our mission, I think about the picture more than I think about the words that I just said to you. When I think about our mission as a church, I think about purple fingerprints. I don't know why they're purple. They're just always purple in my mind. Maybe it's because I live in Dillsburg, all right? A little northern polar bear humor for everybody there. Right? You Mechanicsburgians, maybe they can be maroon. I don't know, whatever. So here's the deal. Whenever I think about this, and I can, as I drive through the place where we live, like up and down the Carlisle Pike in particular, I can, I can almost see the fingerprints because our mission is not primarily what we do here in this building. We equip you 
to become people of deep truth, deep lives, and deep love. Everything we do, that's what we're aiming at. So that when you leave this place, you leave fingerprints everywhere. Fingerprints of justice and righteousness. Fingerprints of love and mercy. Fingerprints of deep character that, no, I'm not gonna go down that road that's easy but not the road of character. I'm not gonna do it. When I drive down the Carlisle Pike, I, I can see purple fingerprints. Like I'm like, hey, I know this person works in that place. I can see a fingerprint there. I know my people shop at that Wegmans, and I can see their fingerprints there. We spend a heck of a lot of time at that Chick-fil-A. I can see the fingerprints, right? Like, I see your fingerprints in every school in our region. I see your fingerprints every store, every place. I see them in every neighborhood that I drive through. We are successful in our mission when this whole region is covered in those fingerprints. Covered in them wherever you go, and you see them too. If I'm the only one that sees the fingerprints, we got a problem. But if you start to see the fingerprints, that your brothers and sisters are everywhere, we scattered from this place, being transformed as people of deep truth, deep lives, and deep love, and we are then seeking the good of the place where God has put us, in the place where we work, in our neighborhoods, in our relationships, in the schools, in every business. When we walk in to Target to do some shopping, we're leaving fingerprints. We're not just there to consume something, to get something. We're there to bless somebody. We've walked into that store with a mindset that said, yes, I'm here to buy some eggs, but, I, but more than I'm here to buy some eggs, I am here to leave a fingerprint on somebody's heart. I don't know, it's a cashier, maybe it's somebody I pass by in the aisle. I pray you have eyes to see the fingerprints because I see them. I see them all the time and I see them everywhere. And it fills me with joy to be a part of this body because I see your fingerprints. And it's pretty cool. Now, I want to talk with you about just a couple of, I think, that are timely expressions of our mission. Maybe that's the way to say it. So that's our mission. Let me summarize it for you this way, okay? Three very short statements. We want to be a church of people who have a passion for the glory of God, who have a tenacious commitment to love our neighbor as exiles, and who are, have an unending commitment to change, becoming more mature in Christ, that we would just want that and never stop. Isn't it one of the most fascinating things? Like every other religion that has sort of a, a works-based mentality, right, where you, you just sort of, you do certain things, and you do them over and over, and as you do them over and over, then you, you, you get more points, whatever, you know, you get more credit religiously, Every other religion that has that, eventually, like, you get to the expert level, right? Like, you get to, you're like, I'm done, I'm good, I've, I've achieved it. And Christianity is so different because Christianity is centered around a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And we will never, ever, in this life, be done knowing more about him. Ever. I love that. I don't know, maybe that feels frustrating to some of you. Maybe you're exploring Christianity and think, oh my goodness, that sounds daunting. No, it's an adventure, it's amazing. It's amazing. Every day you wake up and you say, there's more of you to know today. How do you wanna change me? What do you wanna say to me? What do you want me to do for you? I'm here, I'm yours. And it's living that way. There's just nothing sweeter than that. Look, and let me just tell you, like if you're married, I know not all you're married, but if you're married, you better have that attitude towards your spouse. Otherwise, you're gonna have a rough, rough time this afternoon, right? You should go home and say, honey, I, it's a journey to know you. What a joy. 
right? Because you're never going to fully know that person. You just keep after it day by day by day. And that's an adventure and it's joyful. It's good, right? All right. So then let me just share with you five, what I think here shortly. I'm going to do it briefly. Um, just some, uh, what I think are timely expressions. And I, I don't want to talk about programs, okay? I'm going to allude to some programs that we have here at the church that I think are timely. But my goal is not this. My goal is not saying, hey, you do all this stuff, do one more thing. That's not my goal. My goal is also not to say, hey, you serve in this way. Like, you're in student ministry. You really should be working with Center for Champions. That's, that's not my goal. I'm not telling you to change what you're doing. Each one of us is going to be called to different parts of the mission. We're going to have different jobs, and we're each going to take them up. So I really don't want to focus on programs. What I want to do is speak to the heart of a couple issues that I think are really important for us in 2021. Because here's my sense. Is that as we think about our mission, it's good to be reminded of it so we're not kind of lost and just floating around out there. But, you know, there's, there's been a lot of like, man, we can't wait to be done with 2020, right? 2020 is the worst. I don't know, has anybody seen like, I think it's a Match.com commercial where 2020 is dating the devil. Has anybody seen that commercial? I thought it was hilarious, right? And it's like, 2021, here we come. Friends, it's possible that 2021 is gonna have more tough times ahead for us. It's not like we turn the calendar and all of a sudden everything's just gonna, it's January 1, everything's better now, right? And my concern is, that we are prepared for whatever. I mean, my prayer is that the Lord would cause COVID to go away and we wouldn't need the masks or the seating restrictions or have to have, you know, like restaurants would be fully open. My, that would be my heart and my hope. I'm praying towards that end. But I don't know, and neither do you. And so as believers, my, my heart for you is that you would, and as members of this church or attenders of this church, that you would be prepared well for 2021. So I think there's a couple of timely expressions of our mission that are important for us to recognize. Number one is this, is that we cannot allow our attention to turn inward. That's the first thing. We cannot allow our attention to turn inward. Here's what I know. Man, some of you guys, you've been journeying so well in 2020. You, you have continued to care for others. You've continued to keep your focus on loving your neighbor, seeking the good of the place where God has put you. You are you're doing that diligently. My concern is that if things don't get better quick in 2021, that some of us are gonna start to go, okay, I, I can't do it anymore. I just can't do it anymore. And we're gonna turn the attention inward rather than keeping it outward. And friends, hear me. I know that some of you have been through far more than I know you, you, that you've been through. And you are exhausted. And I understand. And I don't say this as just a, hey, buck up and keep going. I don't, I don't mean it that way. I say it with great love and compassion for you but also because I know it's what's best for you. I don't see anywhere in the scriptures where the call to God's people, having gone through hard times, is then to just say, you know what, it's okay to just focus on me for a bit. I just don't see that anywhere. I see that the way God heals his people, the way he refreshes his people, is by keeping them turned outward, actually, and not turned inward. That doesn't mean not having Sabbath rest. doesn't mean not taking seasons to, okay, I'm gonna be quiet and still and receive some refreshment. doesn't mean that. That's good, and we need that regularly. But it does mean our attention does not turn inward. What about me? How about me? How do I take care of me? We've got to keep our attention turned outward to seeking the good of the place where God has planted us. 2021 is an opportunity for God's people to declare that we draw from a, a, water of, a well of living water that will not run dry. When everybody else runs out of steam, God's people should not run out of steam. We have, we have a resource to draw from. Jesus is enough 
for us. He will give us what we need. I always think about Mark chapter six when I think about these kinds of seasons. Ones where I'm quite frankly tired. Can I let you know a little secret? I'm kind of tired. This has not been an easy year for those of us who are leading the church. It's been a bit of a challenging one. Okay, I'm not trying to get a, it's been difficult for you, it's been difficult for me. Nobody's, nobody's been immune, I guess is all I'm saying. We cannot allow our attention to turn inward. We can't do it. Mark chapter six, God brings me back to it again and again. And you know, it's the story of the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark chapter six. And one of the interesting things about that story is that it's in every one of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's not in John, but in, in each of those gospels, the story of the feeding of the 5,000 is there. And not many of the stories that are in the gospels are in every gospel. Most of them, most stories are in one, maybe two. This one's in, in, you know, in all Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so what's interesting about that is that God is clearly trying to say, this is one that's important, right? Like, pay attention to this one. And in Mark, Mark has an interesting thing that he reports when he tells this story that is not in Matthew and it's not in Luke. When Mark tells it, he says, the disciples have just gone out, Jesus sent them out, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom and to heal diseases, to heal the sick, and to proclaim the kingdom. And, and they've done that, and at points they've faced rejection, and they've had to uh, shake the dust off their feet. And at points they have, they've, had victory and, and had people repent and, and believe. And it's been an amazing experience. And they come back ready to talk to Jesus about that. And Jesus actually says, come away, let's get some rest. And that sounds really awesome. Let's go get some rest. Oh, I'm sure the disciples thought this, oh, perfect, perfect. They sail across the lake and all these people follow them across the lake. And they get to the other side and Jesus sees the people. And it says he had compassion upon them because they were like sheep without a what? without a shepherd. And so he taught them and he was with them. And after a while, the disciples, they come to Jesus and they're like, hey, you know, like, it's getting late. Like, Jesus, I don't know if you've noticed, you went a little over time today, right? Would you, some of you checked your watches. Yeah, yeah. I'll do my best, all right. They're like, hey, Jesus, why don't you send them away? They need to get something to eat. And that would have been the normal thing to do. Yeah, they're hungry. I'll send them away. And that, that wouldn't have been bad. It would have been fine. But what does Jesus say? You give them something to eat. When you're tired, you've been serving, and you're exhausted, in this moment, Jesus is saying, now, I'm the one who's going to feed them. Jesus feeds the people, right? The disciples don't feed the people. They don't have anything to give them. But Jesus says, I'm going to multiply the food. I'm going to do it when it's in your hands. And then you're going to give the food to the people. I have enough, every time I think about that story, I think about just, Trent, keep going. God has enough. He is enough. He will provide the bread. Just keep serving. Keep serving. Don't turn inward. Keep your focus outward. How do you love somebody? How do you care for them? How do you think about their needs, not your own? Don't grow weary in doing good. That's number one. All right, let's hit the other ones a little bit quicker. Number two, we must seize the evangelistic opportunities that COVID is creating. Now, some of you may not be uh, followers of Jesus, and you know, hopefully I'm not like unveiling a secret here. We as a people like to talk about Jesus and want you to believe in him. Like that's part of our mission is that we want to talk to you about, you know, you're probably thinking it's like, oh no, like Amway sales, you know, we're not selling you Amway, right? Is Amway a dated reference now? Probably is. I need a, I need a more current reference, right? We are just people who want other people to believe in Jesus because he is bread and living water. He's life. 
And friends, I mean, it's interesting to me how many believers are shy to talk about Jesus, but we will talk about, maybe, here, here's a better reference, right? We will talk about essential oils or the latest Norwex product like you wouldn't believe. And those are fun. Those are good products. I'm, I'm happy with those things. But like, if you're finding those things useful, then you end up telling other people about them, right? If Jesus is comforting you in this pandemic, if he's providing for you, if you're seeing his faithfulness, why would you not talk about that? Seizing the evangelistic opportunities around us doesn't mean uh, beating people up uh, with your testimony. It just means this. Have eyes to see that God is working in people's hearts. He is. And it's a little harder to see because most of we're kind of, we've been more sequestered in our homes, right? But go for a walk. Write a letter. Make a phone call. Check in on people. See how they're doing. Many of you are doing it. Keep doing it. Ask people how they're doing and how they're finding the resources to get through these times. Tell them how you're getting through it. And I, I believe, if you're a follower of Jesus, the way you're getting through it is because Jesus is ministering to you daily the bread that you need to get through whatever your specific circumstances are. It's a powerful testimony. We want to be a people who, look, for us, the greatest way to seek the good as exiles is always the people would come to know Jesus, always. Above any program we could run, uh, above any earthly need we could meet, always the people would know Jesus. The third thing, now having said that, that I think is timely for us is we have to continue to care for the vulnerable. We have to step up our game as it relates to caring for the vulnerable. The vulnerable have become more vulnerable in 2020. Those who are the have-nots, have less. It has become increasingly difficult. And we must be a people and a church that continue to stretch ourselves to care for those who are in need. Now, this is where programs like our, our mentoring partnership with the local schools in Mechanicsburg, the community resource center that we've opened come into play. This is where our foster care initiative comes into play. This is where the addiction task force comes into play. This is where ministries like Upwards and American Heritage Girls and Trail Life come into play, where it's a place where we're reaching and, and ministering to students and caring for their needs. And friends, it's so imperative that we do this. And let me just read to you this. We always want to be a church who proclaims the gospel and never just leans into social programs because to feed someone for a day and starve them for eternity is the saddest thing a church can do. But we have to recognize that gospel people care for people in need. That's what they do. Listen to Matthew chapter 25. Let me read to you from this text. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? 
And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then the sobering part of the passage. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now listen, friends, that's not a text that's teaching works-based salvation. You have to do these things in order to be saved. You know what it's teaching? It's teaching that people who believe the gospel understand that they were hopelessly lost. They were the most vulnerable, the most needy, and Jesus in love came for us and rescued us in our vulnerability. And the natural response of those people then is to care for the needy among them. Because it's the natural expression of someone who believes that they were in need and had their need met to say, what needs do I meet of others? How do I do it? That's why Jesus says, if you haven't done it to one of the least of these, you haven't done it to me. Is that a sobering text? Yeah, it is. And it's meant to be. And it's there as a warning. Our hearts have to beat for the vulnerable. They have to beat for the least of these. We have to stretch ourselves and strain ourselves and sacrifice to care for those in need. That always has to go hand in hand with gospel proclamation. Meeting needs and proclaiming the gospel hand in hand together. Never making the error on one side or the other. The error of saying all that we need is gospel proclamation. And also never making the error to say all we need is to care for the physical needs of people. Many churches fall into that error on one side or the other. We are committed to being one that walks the balance of the two. Last two things here. And then we'll come to communion, come to the table. We have to learn to bring about God's work through prayer. I really believe that 2021 is a year where God is calling us back to prayer, back to learning that he is sovereign and controls all that occurs under the sun, and yet he calls his people to pray and says, I respond to the prayers of my people, so pray, call upon me, be persistent in prayer, knock and knock and knock and come after me and keep begging me and keep asking me and listen, this is, I respond. I, I am a good father who knows how to give good gifts, and I'm telling you, Pray. I really think, church family, that this year God is calling us back to prayer. Let me issue a challenge to you. Make, make fasting a weekly discipline in your life, whether it's to fast from TV one night or fast from a day of meals or one meal a week or figure out a way to bring fasting into place in your life and pray rather than partaking of that thing that you would normally partake of. I would love it if all of us were regularly participating in the discipline of fasting prayer together. And friends, join the prayer journey that we've been talking about each week, week in and week out, where we're praying together in a direction. I really, we have to learn to, to bring about God's purposes through, through prayer, through prayer. And the fifth thing is this, and I, this is just me as, as your pastor, just, I just want you to hear my heart on this. I have a concern, and it's not just me. I've been hearing other pastors that I'm talking to, and I've been seeing things written by pastors I don't know around the country, 
and this is, a, so it's a shared concern that I have, but it's one that, as I've recognized, it's there in me, it's also there in these other pastors, so it's, I don't think it's just us, but I am concerned that the lives of believers are being shaped more by our lives online than they are by our time in God's word. I am concerned that our worldviews are being shaped more by what we consume online, social media, whatever your regular news resources are online, that those seem to be dictating our actions and our view of the world more than having been saturated in God's word, being made still in his presence and waited upon him. And I'm not saying there's not good things to partake of online where we learn and receive news, of course. Here's my challenge to you. If you recognize that perhaps that may be the case with you, and maybe, you, maybe I would just encourage you, maybe don't try to recognize that yourself, but ask God if that's happening if there's an imbalance there where you're like, I mean, look, the amount, of, the amount of time we spend online versus the amount of time we spend in God's word, it seems almost impossible that God's word would shape us more than online presence would shape us. If that's taking place, can I encourage you this year? I mean, let me just put a challenge in front of you. Cut your online time in half and double your time in God's word. Cut your online time in half and double your time in God's word. This is my concern for you. That to become a person of deep truth, deep lives, and deep love, you have to be saturated with God's word. You do. There's no other way. You can't give a cursory glance at God's word and then spend a couple hours online consuming articles and information and videos and everything else and not be more shaped by that than by the five minutes you spent in God's word or the 20 minutes you spent in God's word. So my challenge to you this year is double it. Double your time in God's word. Cut that online time in half. Really just be thoughtful about your engagement. So thanks for letting me just share that. It's just my heart for you is that it's something I see and I, I long for that to not be the case. 2020, that seemed to be revealed in 2020 that we were being shaped in that way. All right, we're coming to the Lord's table now. 2021, I believe, is gonna be your fruitful, fruitful ministry. Whether COVID goes away or not, whether tough circumstances go away or not, 2021 is gonna be rich and full of God's faithfulness. I'm excited to walk through it with you guys. Whatever may come, whatever may come, we'll journey together. Let's come to the Lord's table now. And friends, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we always invite you to just let these elements uh, pass or just to not partake of them with us because we're proclaiming our faith in Jesus as we partake them and we wouldn't want you to proclaim with your actions something you haven't yet believed, but Man, we'd encourage you to know that we believe Jesus is pursuing you. He's come, died on the cross, and risen from the dead so that you might have a relationship with him, be reconciled to the Father, and we'd love for you to consider that today. Know that that's true. Church family, we're always told to come with a certain sobriety to the Lord's table and reflect upon our own lives. So let's take a few moments to do that and just be still before the Lord, even while George just plays for us and just reflect, and then we'll come to the Lord's table together, partake of the, the, the bread and the cup. Let's pray now.